Welcome to The Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Now here's your Lighthouse Council host. Hello, and welcome to The Beacon Podcast, your connection to nonprofit success. I'm Margaret Gardner, your host for today's discussion on cryptocurrency. Our guest today is Pat Duffy, co-founder of The Giving Block, which helps nonprofits understand and accept cryptocurrency. Let me tell you a little bit about Pat. He created The Giving Block with his co-founder, Alex Wilson, in 2018, helping charities, universities, and other nonprofits fundraise cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. He and his team not only help organizations understand and accept cryptocurrency donations, but also help connect crypto givers with the organizations that accept crypto donations. That's all quite a mouthful. (laughs) Over the last four years, the giving block has turned cryptocurrency into the fastest growing donation method and has built crypto philanthropy programs for hundreds of nonprofits raising millions each month. Welcome, Pat. We are so happy to have you here with us today to talk about a topic that perhaps many, if not the majority of nonprofits know little about. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Okay, so I think the best place to start is at the beginning. Can you explain what cryptocurrency is and how it works? Absolutely. Yeah, it's one of those topics where every time we begin talking about it, we always point out that the degree to which you need to dive into a, a technical level is relatively unnecessary. We point to things like Bluetooth and Wi-Fi all the way down into like combustion engines or a microwave. A lot of the crypto conversation ends up at, I think, too deep of a technical level around like mining and how a block gets added to a blockchain at a super high level. What a nonprofit would need to know about it or even the average investor as to why people are getting into it in the first place is cryptocurrency solved a couple issues that pertain to digital money, digital assets, and even physical assets. And as a result, some people like investing in it. A few of those being one, you can't change transaction records. So it's the first type of money where that is the case. You look at banks and over the last decade, you can point to hundreds of billions of dollars in fines, cooking the books or saying money was in a position when it actually hadn't been sent there, or wasn't being held. Um, cryptocurrency solved that problem for digital money. So a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin has been around since 2009 without any ownership records or transaction records ever having been changed. Uh, the blockchain builds in that security and it's what's called an immutable ledger. So having a type of money that you can, with full certainty, know that if you own it, no one can deny that you own it, or if you send it somewhere that's fully verifiable without any middlemen, that's a pretty valuable technology. It leads to a lot of efficiency, and one of the main reasons people invest in it. And then the second thing you would want to know is scarcity. Things like gold have that. That's why they're treated as a good store. You can't get a giant injection of supply when it comes to gold, but with something like a dollar, you can right? Government can print a bunch of dollars and devalue what you have in the bank. With cryptocurrencies, in the same way, you can't change a transaction record. You can't add more to the network. So for something like Bitcoin, you know exactly how many units there will ever be. It's written in the code. We can all agree to it as a system. And you can know when you're buying it that there won't suddenly be double overnight, like when you see uh, you know, a stock split or uh, a government issuing a bunch of currency. So there's a limited supply that's fully verifiable. And then your ownership records and transaction records are fully verifiable because it's the only type of asset where that's the case. Some people like investing in it. So uh, can you talk to us about your work in the philanthropic landscape and, and how this all comes together for nonprofit organizations? Yeah, it looks different in the U.S. than it does internationally. We work in both arenas. In the, the U.S. in particular, it's uniquely tax incentivized, like crypto giving. So my background was I worked at a nonprofit the same time I got into trading crypto. My co-founders got me into crypto to begin with. And I was you know, cutting my teeth when it came to fundraising at the same time I was learning crypto investment best practices. And we figured out end of 2017 
that a lot of people were giving crypto to nonprofits when there was a spike in the price of cryptocurrency. Ashton Kutcher went on Ellen DeGeneres and was donating crypto uh, to her foundation. The Pineapple Fund donated $60 million in Bitcoin to a bunch of nonprofits. Universities got a $50 million donation. So we did a little bit of research and it was relatively easy to figure out. It's the property donation tax incentive where pretty much you don't pay capital gains on crypto that you donate to a nonprofit in the same way you don't with any other type of property, a, a house, a car, stocks, et cetera. So our intersection and why crypto comes together in the US in particular is if someone's trying to give you a million bucks, if they give you the million dollars they have in the bank, you get a million dollars as a charity, they get a million dollar write-off, end of story. But when they can give you property assets like cryptocurrency, you get the million dollars, they get the million dollar write-off. But depending on the level of appreciation, that person could be saving $200,000 plus in capital gains taxes they'd otherwise have to pay. So there's this enormous additional incentive to give this way if you have it. And as of today, there's about 300 million people around the world who have cryptocurrency. And then in the US, you know, maybe somewhere around 100 million, depending on the survey you look at, where anytime they're holding cryptocurrency that is up, that, that same incentive applies. And what, what has the reception been by nonprofits in the United States, particularly, to the whole idea of, of something that most likely sounds very new to them? Yeah, it's kind of funny. It all tends to start in the same place where nonprofits are like, oh, it feels kind of new or cutting edge or relatively not well established. But for large nonprofits in particular, it's pretty much universal at this point. So like we point to the fact that today we have about 2000 subscribers uh, as clients on our platform. Of those nonprofits, we've got a little over 150 nonprofits with $100 million plus budgets. So like a, a St. Jude, American Cancer Society, Save the Children, United Way, World Vision, those types of groups, and a lot of universities, hospital networks, et cetera. Like they're pretty universally into it. We've got a, a really large percentage of that kind of blue chip clientele. We're already actively fundraising crypto. And then there's kind of the smaller mid-sized orgs that are trailing a bit more. They're, they're not fully up to speed on kind of how big of a, a thing it is or how many people are giving this way. They've come along, I would say, in the last year, though, in particular. So the 2000, of course, the majority of our clients are small and mid-sized, but in terms of proportionality, there's a whole lot less big nonprofits than there are small. So more small nonprofits are into it than large nonprofits, but there's a lot more small nonprofits out there. So as a percentage of the overall base, they're still kind of the, the most behind. And so to those nonprofits, uh, whether they be small or sort of mid-range, but we're not talking about the behemoths, what would your messaging to them be? Yeah. The, the message would be, I would say that you owe it to yourself to know what you should investing time and energy into when it comes to kind of any innovative technology. So it's not always the right move to get into crypto right now. You can make a list of things that you would consider technical or you know innovation. Some of those are less innovative than others, things like having a really well mobile optimized website or a social media plan that actually leads to growing a following and generating engagement, kind of basic stuff you need to survive out in the wild as a nonprofit moving forward. Cryptocurrency and then kind of all payment methods, you know, like Cash App and some of the millennial Gen Z stuff, like should be on your radar and should be one of those things that you explore. And then when you put those things in a list, you think about how much time, energy does it take to do this versus other things on the list versus how much value do we see these things potentially delivering? And I think a lot of small nonprofits would find out, you know, you can get 15, 20, 30 things stacked up pretty quick, require about an hour or two of your energy over the course of the year that could actually add 
tremendous value, depending on if you're working with a partner. So like the, the baseline with cryptocurrency or for any technology is that the nonprofits who do look into this, try to start fundraising crypto, tend to do it. And then for us as a platform, we've got about 99% retention, meaning almost 100% of them who spend a year trying to fundraise crypto end up doing so effectively and sticking with it. So it's a pretty tremendous track record. So not for everybody. Obviously, some nonprofits aren't ready for it, or you'll find something else in your list that maybe you should do before crypto. But if you're good at fundraising at a basic level and have a pretty good grasp on the internet, cryptocurrency is something you should probably have in your, your toolkit at this point. And, and actually, it sounds like sort of the same place nonprofits were however many years ago when it came from, when it came to like the change between doing completely direct mail advertising, then go, I'm not advertising, I'm sorry, fundraising to, you know, email fundraising to fundraising online. It just seems like another step, something, you know, something, a natural progression in the overall yeah. scheme of things. Yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it. So then if you have a nonprofit who comes to you and they really don't know much about cryptocurrency, but are interested, what would the steps be? How do they start fundraising cryptocurrency? What roadblocks might they encounter? You know, how do they communicate with donors? I guess, give us a brief primer on cryptocurrency for nonprofits and how organizations would, would start doing this. Yeah, there, there's kind of two layers to this. The first layer is getting into it to begin with, you know, getting equipped to accept crypto donations and going out there to try to find them. And then two is the actual active approach you employ on that second part, right? Like, how are you trying to uh, get crypto donations actually going through your system from like appealing to your existing uh, donor base or trying to use it as a tool to uh, bring in new donors, younger donors, et cetera. For that first piece, biggest barrier is not talking to someone. So there's either nonprofits who aren't thinking about it and then they're not having this conversation anyway. And then there's some nonprofits. Oftentimes it's someone who's actually pretty into crypto, ironically, and they do a lot of unnecessary research or make a list of really unnecessary considerations. And those end up becoming the blockers. They'll ask themselves questions like, which cryptocurrencies do we accept? And then if they were to talk to us, it would be like, uh, you accept the ones that are on the exchange. It would be like saying, which stocks do you accept? It's like, if it's on Fidelity, that's probably okay. And then they'd be like, how do we sell it? And it's like, programs automatically sell it. When it hits the account, you just turn on that feature. So you never have to log in or deal with selling it or price volatility. And then they'll be like, how do we accept an NFT? You'll be like, you, you don't. Those go through like a DAF partner. They're so rare and infrequent. It's not worth 2,000 organizations updating their gift acceptance policy. So long story short, you've got to go in not a rabbit hole. But talk to us at the giving block or just Google crypto philanthropy. There's other companies who are in this space or nonprofits that you can read about that you can ping and talk to who are doing things actively. Just connect with someone who, who has subject matter expertise. So you're not presenting to your board on 15 considerations that don't actually exist. They're sort of imaginary blockers that shut down a large percentage. And then once you have it set up, to your point, like how do you actually get this thing humming? Really, really important for nonprofits to know, like almost no crypto donations go through what I would call like a donate crypto button or checkout. Some of our biggest kind of uh, keystone clients, like a Save the Children, uh, United Way, American Cancer Society, those are organizations that had a means of accepting crypto for a multi-year period, but didn't get donation volume. And we partnered with them and just started employing some very basic act strategies to tell their existing donors that they take the stuff and then tell the world outside of that, that this is an opportunity for them. And folks came in, they came in and drove and they gave. 
because they had effective communications on it. So for the orgs that are setting up a donate crypto option, especially if you're kind of the crypto champion that's getting that to begin with, it's really important that you have a strong first year because if you're getting the leadership buy-in, you're trying to get into crypto, you're like, okay, we're going to get this thing set up. If you don't see donation volume the first year, it's really hard to then in year two, try to get the leadership to buy back in and add more time and energy to something that they believe is not realistically an opportunity. So actually trying to figure out what is an effective strategy, looking at the way other nonprofits do it, working with partners who can help you get out there, connect with different crypto communities, how to talk to like a Bitcoin donor versus an Ethereum donor, et cetera. Spending your first year, not a ton of time and energy, but enough to where you can dip your toe in and see what's actually out there for you is a really good use of time. Because if it's not a super high ROI use of your time and energy, you want to find that out early. You don't want to find out three years later that you could have been building up a donor Rolodex that has now kind of gone elsewhere. What is the role of a company like yours in all of this for the nonprofit? Yeah. I mean, largely it's that secondary component. Like our, our technology, we, we set up the nonprofit to take crypto. It automatically sells the crypto for cash, automatically issues a tax receipt. We have the dashboard where they can view the crypto transaction details, reconciled with their donor form. All of the stuff you want out of the tech is taken care of, but most of our time and energy is actually on fundraising. So for smaller, mid-sized groups, a lot of that is our campaigns. So like we developed and run Crypto Giving Tuesday with the Giving Tuesday Foundation. That's the the largest day of giving activity for crypto, which we've built up since 2019. We run and operate the crypto giving pledge. So interesting people like Tony Hawk, the skateboarder, Rain Wilson, who's Dwight from the office, are like some notable folks who take that. Crypto exchanges like FTX, who just bought the Miami Heat. That's kind of a, a mainstream channel that donors come through. And then we have our platform, thegivingblock.com. We run campaigns throughout the year. And that just drives kind of people in. Anyone who's going on the internet looking for a place to give crypto or doing one of our active campaigns when they come in, we just kind of give our nonprofit basic marketing toolkits. And then we kind of align around a hashtag or a campaign. And throughout the year, we sprinkle these things in and let the nonprofits jump onto to Twitter and uh, into these campaigns and meet the donors that we bring through kind of that centralized channel. And then for larger nonprofits in particular, or groups that just have uh, reach into a younger donor base or a larger opportunity in crypto, uh, we help them run their own campaigns. So like the Hoddle Hope campaign to save the children or the Cancer Crypto Fund at the American Cancer Society. We we kind of consult with organizations to figure out, okay, this is the email you're going to send out to your major gift space. This is how you'll explain the tax incentive. This is when you'll have the whitelist their wallet address uh, and kind of help you maximize your fundraising outcomes with your base uh, around the year. It just, the, the the message that I'm getting here seems to be that fundraising is fundraising, no matter how you're doing it or how you're gathering those donations. That kind of sounds like what it is that you're saying. It's a new technology, something new to think about, but still the basics of fundraising are going to apply here as far as engagement and connecting with donors and potential donors. I, I really love that, actually, the fundraising is fundraising piece, because we even say it internally. Sometimes we have meetings with these nonprofits or we release a toolkit and there are people like, this crypto stuff is so crazy. I don't know how we'd be doing this fundraising without you. And we look at our toolkit and we're just like, I mean, it's it's a hashtag and it's a X amount of impact equals, or you know, X amount of donation equals X amount of impact. And then it's reconciling a narrative and, and creating an effective major gifts appeal. We're just kind of replacing that with the word Bitcoin, you know, or cryptocurrency, et cetera. Mm -hmm. To your point, you're right. Like if you're good at fundraising, it's pretty easy to be good at fundraising crypto. And if you're not good at fundraising, you shouldn't be looking at crypto as like a lottery ticket. 
which I know some some organizations do. But if you have your kind of baseline abilities together, you have a stewardship model and you know how to fundraise, crypto is 100% a thing that can be integrated pretty effectively to open up an additional revenue channel. Great. You know, actually, we are coming to the end of our time here. So if there's anything that you'd like to add before we finish up, that would be great. Do you have any final words of wisdom for our listeners? No, I, I mean, I really appreciate your time today. The, the final words of wisdom. Would, yeah, thank you. The final words of wisdom, I guess, would be, it's just one of many things that nonprofits need to be exploring. It's a lot more common than I think people think it is. If you just go to thegivenblocks.com, you can look at 2,000 plus nonprofits who are out there doing this, many of them small and mid-sized. And it should be on your list of priorities when it comes to what sorts of innovative technologies can help us grow our bottom line on an annual basis. Don't overthink it. Don't overindex for it. Just start a conversation and see what opportunities are out there for you. And yeah, go from there. Great, Pat. This has really been enlightening. And again, we, re- we really appreciate you being here. I know you've given our listeners plenty to think about. So to our listeners, you can connect with Pat on LinkedIn and learn more about cryptocurrency at thegivingblock.com. Thanks again for listening. And once again, I'm Margaret Gardner. We hope to see you next time on The Beacon Podcast, your connection to nonprofit success. Thanks for listening to The Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Tune in every week for nonprofit topics with special guest interviews. Suggest future topics and learn more about upcoming podcast and guest at lighthousecouncil.com.